0: Horsemen, handicappers, and racing fans won't want to miss a single day of the seven-day FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs in early September. Owners and trainers will compete for the world's richest overnight purses, and horse players will enjoy the best betting opportunities in America with large fields and low takeout. Thanks to the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund, registered Kentucky breeds will run for $150,000 in maiden races with allowance races starting at $160,000. The 17 stakes, totaling $10.7 million, include eight graded stakes. Kentucky Downs runs on September 1st, 3rd, and 4th. That's this Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then again on the 8th, another Thursday, the 10th, and the 11th, next weekend, Saturday, Sunday, with closing day being the 14th. You can get reserved seats on sale at KentuckyDowns.com. Proud to announce we're going to be covering Every day we're gonna have seven shows in addition to this one, one for each racing day at Kentucky Downs. Some may be segments on other shows, some will be standalone. So all the coverage you need in the moneypodcast.com. And of course, more info at Kentucky There's unique, and then there's Kentucky Downs. to a special podcast, a Kentucky Downs meet preview. Very excited about this show brought to you by our friends, of course, at Kentucky Downs and also by our friends at Open Stable. We'll be talking to Brian Klatsky a little bit later in the show. We're going to have Rick Hammerly, the director of Racing On, going to close things out with Brian Skirka giving some important info about the Handicapping Turf Championship that you got to get involved and play in all three of the contests. And the first one's Thursday, so you don't want to sleep On that, But we're going to kick off the show with one of the most popular guests we ever have on this network. He's been on talking about Kentucky Downs before. Curious to get his thoughts on what's happening this year. He's the author of Betting with an Edge. He's a professional horse player. He's Mike Maloney. Mike, how are things?
1: Everything's good, Pete. Thanks for having me on.
0: Where does Kentucky Downs at this moment in time rate among tracks you look forward to playing as far as the the entirety of your year goes?
1: Um, I, I look forward to it. it. The meet is so short that it, you know, it's not like Keeneland or uh, you know Derby time at Churchill for me. But um, it's, you know, I, I look forward to it because there really is a lot of opportunity there. It, it's hard to connect there, but uh, when you do uh, catch the right race there, you got a lot, a lot of upside. There's a few
0: interesting specific things I want to ask you about, but I'll start with a much more general question. How does the Kentucky Downs meet differ from all other meets for you as a horse player?
1: I, you know, I, I approach it, I think, a little differently. Uh, I am I'm spreadier in my bets. Uh, I don't like to use the all button very much, but in the, in the verticals at Kentucky Downs, I've just learned through time that it's, it's worthwhile for me in some of these hard races, especially in uh, races that don't have a lot of form in the maiden races and, and some of the, the uh, allowance races, the conditioned allowance races that it's um, it's a good idea for me personally to use all sometimes in the third slots and the fourth slots in my tries and supers because horses will run in that that I just can't handicap and and I think it's basically that they like that surface and there's with when you're dealing with first time starters and when you're dealing with maiden races and horses that haven't raced at Kentucky Downs it makes sense that crazy horses on paper run in because you know who who can tell who will like that course before they run on We'll get into the specifics of the
0: course a little bit later with uh, Rick Hammerly, if folks want to hear the the bread and butter of that. But are there, is there anything specific about Kentucky Downs that allows you to use that approach? I understand why you're doing it because of that chaos, but can you get away with it more than you can at other tracks because of some of the things that are different about Kentucky Downs?
1: Yeah, I think you can get away with it. What one of the things that helps you get away with it is the is the takeout and and you know being a little lower and 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 another thing that that helps you get away with it is just the the size of the fields and the and the size of the payouts so you know if i'm uh if there are going to be several 10 cent supers at this meet that'll pay you know 800 a thousand dollars some of them you know it will probably be a two thousand dollar a few of those i and more. So it's, it's a situation where, you know, I I can cover myself and I, and just through experience, I've found that it's, it's, it's smart to cover myself in these third and fourth slots because even if I'm, even if I'm wrong, you can score in some instances, just because the price, the price is going to be so big on the, on the uh, chaos horse and the, and the payout's going to be so big on those, on those exotics. So, uh, it, it just through trial and error of playing the track, that's just something I've learned that, that works for me.
0: I'm going to underline this a little bit more just because I think it really goes against the general trend in racing. When we've talked to the likes of Sean Borman and Paul Matisse, it feels like in the modern game, in so many instances, you're looking to make your tickets tighter and have fewer combinations and, and hit them more. So it's really a big shift when you're looking at your approach to Kentucky Downs, assuming you agree with those guys that generally speaking in the modern game, you, you want to be less and less spready. Here's one instance where you can be more spready.
1: Yes. And, and I think every professional horse player and, and probably most serious horse players have had to adjust their game over the last few years and, and, be, and become more precise with their betting, you know, not be so spready. I totally agree with that concept. Um, but I try to be open-minded and, uh, not try to fit a, a, square peg into a round hole. So, uh, almost everywhere, I'm trying to think of another place where, where I kind of take this approach and, uh, you know, the early part of the meet at Del Mar, sometimes, you know, I, I'll, I'll, do a little of this because I think horses, they, they have to kind of sort themselves out in the first week or two of that meet. So uh, it, it's very seldom anymore that I use this approach. But, I'm you know, I, I, there are times for for most approaches, and I think this is the right one for the spread. Generally speaking, what effect do you see the computer
0: money having at Kentucky Downs as opposed to the average USA racetrack in 2022? The same, more of an edge or less of an edge for those guys?
1: you know i I'm not a a good one to ask maybe about the computer teams because there are a lot of people that understand better exactly what they do than I do um you know i I see their presence in in late odd drops and and I see their presence in depressed exotic payouts yeah, verticals and horizontals. That's where I feel their their presence in my everyday play. Um, Kentucky Downs seems to still have enough uh, monster payouts that you know I'm assuming the computer guys are missing when that happens. So there, there must be uh, they're data driven, and I, I think the data is a little less reliable, and and the the uh, sample sizes are smaller just out of out of necessity at, on Kentucky Downs racing. So. I would assume that that would hurt the computer wagers to some degree. Let's
0: talk about handicapping Kentucky downs specifically. How does that process change? You talked a little bit about betting, being more inclusive. When you sit down just to dope out a race, how is that different at Kentucky downs as opposed to the average
1: track? Well, and I've said this before on your airways, but it's still true. Um, uh, I think, Kentucky Downs is, is a as big a horse for course track as I play. Um, you have to uh, that's the first question that I ask myself is is the horse going gonna acclimate to Kentucky Downs unusual surface? Um, and the best uh, predictor of that is a is a good previous race at Kentucky Downs. So, I see at every meet where a horse has run good there previously. They run at a couple other tracks over the rest of the year leading back to Kentucky Downs, and their form is just so so. It's, you know, they're not the fastest horse in the race, they're the fifth, sixth fastest horse in the race. And then immediately back at Kentucky Downs, they snap back into form. It's not every track. It's not every horse that, of course, that shows that, that setup, but enough of them do that, that, and they do it at prices, that it's a, it's still a very workable angle for me. So that's, that's something that, that, uh, you know, you really have to pay attention to. And, and I try to, you, you know, you take part of my money and build a little scenario around that horse that has good previous form that I feel like I'm getting value with because of his current form at other tracks and if I'm right at 20 to 1 then you know I have a chance for a score if I'm wrong I just turn the page and I'll do it again next race <laughs> um you know it's just what I believe works at Kentucky Downs so I don't let myself get shaken off of that um also you I I want a fit horse at Kentucky Downs uh, I, I if if I'm gonna bet a, a layoff horse, it needs to be with a trainer that I really have confidence in getting a horse ready off the layoff, and and that that's even in even in trainers uh, Chad Brown types that that you you know you usually totally rely on their layoff capabilities. Uh, you know you'll see horses maybe not fire sometimes down there, not just Brown, but horse uh, trainers of his ilk that uh, run horses there, it, they don't seem to be able to, to leg the horses up quite as easily uh, without, without a, uh, a race, you know, in the last month or so. Makes and I also, sense. also I'll look Pete for, for horses that, that, that it's clear that they've been pointed for Kentucky downs. Horses that maybe had a little break and then had uh, 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 one or two prep races. And the, and the feel of their form to me is just the trainer picked out a spot at Kentucky Downs and he's just working backwards to get there. So I, I love to see that. And the competition is so tough there with the size of the purses that, you know, it, it, there are not many weak winners at Kentucky Downs. You normally have to run uh, a, a top-notch race for that class in order to get the job done, and it leads me to horses to that have been pointed for that race. Well, some great, great stuff to unpack there.
0: Do you see that in your speed figure pars, that extra um, ability that it might take to win there and a maiden special weight there as opposed to... Churchill or or first level allowance or is it more anecdotal that you're saying you need you, to you
1: know you'll have the occasional soft race there but uh, you'll you'll have many key races uh, going forward at Kentucky Downs you know that form travels pretty well uh, when they leave there I, I I love to bet those horses back uh, on the turf at 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 whatever track they you know, they, they run at next and, and many times they'll, horses that can handle both surfaces will that turf course will leg them up and they'll run a big race back on the dirt. So uh, the, I think the, the overall strength of the form at Kentucky downs is, is very good. That's an interesting point about turf to dirt. We've done some
0: digging on numbers into that over the years and been interested to find that dirt to turf statistically typically works better than the other way around. And there's a logic to that, given the attritional nature of dirt racing as opposed to turf racing, where so often the running, it happens for a smaller part of the race and later on. But it's interesting that the galloping configuration at Kentucky Downs might be a little bit of an exception to that rule where where turf to dirt can help. You've mentioned trainers a couple of times. I want to get into some specifics on trainers. But before we get to that, I want to go back to the horse for course point. And I've probably asked you this before. But have you seen anything else in your handicapping that can predict whether a horse will take to the Kentucky down surface who hasn't run over it before something in a late pace figure or a certain turf course that the form tends to translate better. Are there any predictors along those lines for who's going to like this unique surface?
1: Yeah, I have two thoughts there, Pete. And one, since you mentioned the, the feeder tracks, I, I think, a uh, what I think of as a, uh, kind of a more turfy turf course, if that makes any sense, uh, fairgrounds, um, uh, you you know, I think, uh, Belmont, you know, it, it takes a true turf course at a turf horse at certain parts of the year to, to handle that turf course. Um, the other end of that spectrum would be the the Derf at, at Gulfstream, <laughs> which we don't have to deal with too much right now. I would place zero predictive value on that. Yeah. Uh, if a horse is is coming off a a, a a baked super fast turf course like even the inner at Saratoga can get that way, um, th- that's less predictive to me. You know, I just think a lot of times at Kentucky Downs, you'll get a little give in the ground. And, 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 uh, even if the course is firm, I think you don't necessarily skip over that course the same way that you might on a real hard, tight turf course at some tracks. So that, that, that's one thing is I I, I would rather a true turf course. I, I know that, you know, what does that mean? But, uh, it It's just uh, it you know it, it one way to look at it would be turf courses that I think the races run slower, that would have generally um, uh, 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 slower finishing times in their races for the same distance. That type course is, you know, I feel safer with a horse like that. Yeah, I don't down to the gra-
0: it's down to the ground. I think you know what kind of ground they're going to be getting. That's such a huge factor in European racing. It all—it only makes sense that ground preference is going to come more into play at a course like Kentucky Downs. I, I think that's that's part of what you're that's part of what you're getting at for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And and um, the um, the uh, another thing at Kentucky Downs for me. Is I, I want a horse that that is a true uh, confirmed uh, horse for the distance. You know, you you don't want to bet a six and a half horse at seven furlongs. There, you can right. get away with that at a lot of places around the country. I don't think you get away with that at Kentucky Downs very often. No, that makes perfect
0: sense. I mean, I think a lot of this is getting into. That, that just the ability to finish and really and really see things out. I mean that's a lot of the things you said, whether it's fitness or that uh, about the distance or looking at course configuration, a hard turf course, a, a, a not you know super traditional turf course, they can still get an advantage and use speed almost the way you would on the dirt. What you're saying is that doesn't necessarily fly at kentucky downs at the same time it doesn't seem like it's particularly and you correct me if i'm wrong but particularly biased towards closers you definitely get days where you see plenty of wire-to-wire winners there what would you how would you describe the bias generally at kentucky
1: downs yeah you know i think that i'm so sensitive to bias that uh the way i look at at bias doesn't translate to to a lot of players you know that it's overkill for them and i understand that but I, I see at least half the racing days at Kentucky Downs. I, I feel like there is a little bias in play and there's not really a, a prevailing bias to me. I, it can be you know it can be speed, it can be closers, it can be inside, it can be outside and and it generally is is not very strong. It's a lower level bias for me, but it's very helpful when you can get a feel for it. It seems like, uh, you know, as the uh, as the rails move, it, of course, can change. But uh, there's there's usually a kind of a a flow of the meat where those biases will kind of they'll they'll stay in two or three day uh, spans. You know, like if you have uh, if the insides helping just a little bit, it seems like it might go on for two or three days and then it may revert to the outside helping. So um, I try to be aware of that. I try to be aware of that everywhere, but it it don't just assume that that Kentucky Downs is immune to that and that it never happens.
0: But at the same time it doesn't sound like, "Oh, look for speed when it's sunny and closers, when it's wet, you just have to be nimble as is so often the case with bias.
1: Exactly. And I, yeah, I haven't been able to figure out like, Hey, it's wet. This happens. And Hey, it's, it's windy. This happens, you know, and, and, and don't really have any, any bias stuff to pass on for certain distances, but um it, it's just, you know, I, I think it's um, it just, just stay aware of it, you know, and try to uh, the first three races of the day, just try to, if there's a horse that runs well, that, that you didn't see, you didn't expect to run well, take a look at where he was on the track and where he was in the pace scenario. And, and if that repeats, if, if, if a horse outruns its odds, uh, a couple of times with the same style or in the same part of the track, early in the card, it might be worth taking a look at.
0: Makes perfect sense. I want to leave us plenty of time to talk about trainers, but I also don't want to rush over any other points about handicapping and betting. You might've wanted to make, uh, if I know you, you always uh, dig and do some work for these shows <laughs> and, and anything else on your list before we proceed to the conditioner stuff.
1: Yeah, well, just the idea of spreading out, we've kind of touched on that already. Um, we didn't, we didn't touch on the, the horizontal part of it. Yeah. Let's talk Um, about that. One of the things that, that I like to do is, you you know, sometimes I'll be putting, you know, more money than most players would, I guess, in, in pick fours and pick fives. But uh, one of the things that's been helpful to me there is at most tracks, I'm, um, I'm always looking for the kill bet in those picks. I'm always looking for, to be able to have a pick multiple times. Um, I, I, you know, I change that around with the horizontals the same way I do with the verticals at Kentucky Downs, and just try to survive in advance. Uh, try to find a, a, a key or two, or, or maybe a, a single in a, in a race that I can narrow down to two horses, um, and then I will uh you know use not a strict ABC method but I will use Steve Christs concept of let me be let me be wrong once and give myself a chance to cash you know so I'll, I'll be very spready to the point of all sometimes in one of those races with my best ideas in the other four and you know it's it's not really cost prohibitive if you're tight with it with those other legs, right. um, I understand that a, that a, you know, a very small player can't do that. I understand that. Uh, but when you're trying to get coverage in the longer picks um, at Kentucky downs, it's just so hard to to play the four out of five game and the three out of four game down there because those races are tough and they're deep. And um, especially early in the meet, uh, before even the riders have figured things out, there'll there'll be some wild results, and so and as I often say, I like to take advantage of that chaos if possible. Um, another thing I, I I will tell myself throughout that that meet is if I start out slow, if I have a bad day, if I have a bad first three days. Um, I'll constantly remind myself: stay within your limits, play smart, but remember that one or two races in the entire meet can turn the whole thing around and turn a, a losing meet into a, the best meet you've ever had. <laughs> so uh, it, it's that's just the way uh, Kentucky Downs feels to me. Is I think it's it's important from a from a money management standpoint and from a betting strategy standpoint and and from a a psychological gambling standpoint to be realistic about what your opportunities are and the probable flow of your, of your gambling. So uh, I don't want to be frustrated pulling my hair out after three days. If, if, if I've had some near misses, I want I want to stay diligent and keep working and keep trying to make the smart bet because it, it, it really is true that you, you just have to ring the bell once down there, and it'll, it, it can carry you through the whole meet.
0: There's an opportunity cost to punting. You, you don't want to punt on third down at Kentucky Downs because those opportunities are there, the financial terms, the field side, the payouts – some other tracks where the opportunities maybe aren't so much, and maybe it makes sense to move your tack elsewhere or to wrap up or to wait for another opportunity. But as much as possible within your limits, it sounds like a little stick to has paid off for you at Kentucky Downs, to, to, put, it, to put it another way. I want to ask you about smaller players, because we'd be remiss in not mentioning first Kentucky Downs meet with the new breakage rules. My inclination, while I totally take your chance about this is a track where you still have the opportunity to make those scores my opportunity to my my advice to a smaller player who might not be able to be capitalized enough to approach these exotics the way you're talking about mike would be to take advantage of the fact that place and show are very much in play now in kentucky in a way that they're not anywhere else in the country agree or disagree and Feel free to expound on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. For those that aren't aware, Kentucky has, uh, with the beginning, I think of the Ellis park meet, we have uh, penny breakage in place. So, uh, the first state to, uh, ever implement that. So you're getting paid, uh, the right amount. Nobody's picking your pocket, um, uh, on Kentucky racing, uh, through breakage. So, um, you know, it's a, it it, it does make a difference. It, it, there's a little uh, conflict in my gambling mind there because I find Kentucky Downs to be one of the hardest places for me to make a place or show bet. Maybe not place, but, but show is hard because I ask a lot of a horse I'm going to bet the show and, and it's hard to get all those things in place in a short meet like that. Um, but, um, there are, you know, there are plenty of of eight and ten dollar show prices down there. So, you, I guess you don't have to be as strict as 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 I tend to be. And I'm usually bet I'm not a big show better. I'm a uh, or a place better. I, but I like to do parlays in those bets on certain days. So, um, you know, I may I've I've definitely incorporated some of that in my betting at, at Ellis Park this year. And, uh, you know, I'll try to do a little bit more of that at Kentucky Downs also. And even if you're just betting the wind pool, you know, I know it doesn't, you know, it's not a huge impact on a single race, but, uh, you know, day after day, if a person's sticking with the wind pool, that breakage, you know, it adds up and it's helpful over the course of a year.
0: A de facto takeout reduction for sure. Let's talk about some trainers specifically, Mike. I've had, I don't know, maybe six people you know, variously since we first started doing these Kentucky Downs shows. I think the first one we did was two years ago, This making this our third one, have said, make sure you thank Mike Maloney for telling us about Brendan Walsh at Kentucky Downs. <laughs> huh. well, did
1: you have anybody thank me for uh... – giving them the negative stuff on Graham motion. <laughs> I wasn't going to
0: bring that up, but you did <laughs> not gram motion right into the winner's circle.
1: Again. That's right. I, you know, and I woke him up. He, should, I, I don't know if he, he should send me a, a stable hat or something. <laughs> uh, cool well, hand. I'll, I'll see who hand. I can, I'll see who I can wake up now at Kentucky Downs. Uh, I, I, I did a little work last night on, on, uh, on most of the main trainers. That'll be racing at Kentucky Downs, <clears throat> and I lumped them into a couple of groups. The first group was just the average group, and why do you even need to mention those? I'll just run through these names. I'm not going to give their exact stats. I'm just going to run through the names. These are th- these are not underperformers. These are just guys that that basically perform at their the same rate they do the rest of the year.
0: A baseline. Yeah.
1: So uh, in that group. I include Asmussen, which I kind of thought Asmussen might be in the underperforming group. But Agreed. He, he was, uh, I think he's 15% winners, 38% in the money, you know, maybe a little soft, but the the ROI was decent. So I, I threw him in the average group. Paula Lobo, Mike Maker, uh, Joe Sharp, the aforementioned Brendan Walsh, Wesley Ward. Um, those guys all in the in the average group. Uh, I had uh, one uh, person that stood out as not performing well at Kentucky Downs. Uh, Dale Romans, oh for twenty five, last five years at uh, at Kentucky Downs, and only three horses in the money.
0: It um, might make sense given the stock that he has, right? I mean, isn't it fair to say he's typically a little more dirt oriented. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think that's probably the the uh, the the what's behind that stat. Although he has a a longtime owner, Frank Jones, that's that's had, you know, I know he had one mayor that, that threw some turf winners and and uh you know and maybe Frank's not as active as he used to be. But uh yeah, for whatever reason, uh you you'd probably want to be cautious with Romans there. Another guy that had bad numbers the last five years is is my friend uh, the big cat Wayne Catalano, uh, but I don't put much. I think that's a misleading stat because I, it's they wouldn't let me sir I couldn't on formulator search past five years, but um, I know before that he had some or at least one dynamite meet at Kentucky Downs, so I would say that's a misleading stat, and I would include Cat in the. Kind of the average category in my mind.
0: Not an upgrade or a downgrade. You just evaluate the horses on their form.
1: Right, right. Um, the overperforming trainers, uh, Brad Cox barely made the cut. He was kind of at the the bottom of the overperforming trainers. Nineteen uh, percent winners, forty percent in the money, a dollar on the two dollar ROI scale. All these ROIs I'll give you are on the two dollar ROI scale. Um, Eddie Keneally, uh, has good numbers at, at Kentucky Downs, 19% winners, 49% in the money, 318 ROI. Chad Brown, real small sample. I was surprised he only had eight starters, uh, but he's won three of those and has a $3 ROI. Interesting. And I have two others. And these are the two that I thought stood out the most, uh, Shug McGahee. 47% winners, 53% in the money, 4.33 ROI. Um one thing in the way I evaluate these stats that I would I would soften that I think it's still good stat but I would soften it just a little because 47% winners, 53% in the money, Sugar is either getting the money or you know he's still having some horses that aren't running that well. Is right. my point. So, uh, but still, that you know, those are good stats. And the guy that I really liked his numbers the best, Brian Lynch, thirty-one percent winners, fifty percent, fifty-six percent in the money, and a three-fifty-four ROI and a fairly good-sized sample. So, some of the guys to maybe take an extra look at. Yeah, also awesome. on Suge, uh, a positive on him was uh, last year he was three for five winners at Kentucky Downs. So not sending a
0: lot, him both with with Shug and with Brown, not sending a lot. You know, maybe they either have a very keen sense of who's going to like it, or for whatever reason. But I mean, those numbers are hard to—it's hard to argue with when they send one, they tend to be live. And based on those ROI numbers, I mean, they're not all favorites either. I'm guessing
1: right. And Chad looked like I glanced at at the, his runners, and it looked like he's mainly coming in for the stakes and, sure. and doing you know doing well even even in that situation.
0: Very 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 interesting how much so I mean the trainer angle talk a little bit more about how you use it at Kentucky dance. You mentioned it regarding layoffs you're going to be looking at you're going to be looking at that we have talked about general performance but how else how important of a factor is it for you relative to the the more fundamental factors
1: well it, it's a it's a strong factor it you know the the most important thing to me is the individual horse of course uh, you know you you know i'm uh, I want to bet on the horse. I want the other things to, to verify, you know, my opinion of of the horse and or, or the weak stats. I want them to verify the horse that I have to beat. So, or the horse that's going to catch money that I'm trying to beat. Um, the, one other thing to 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 watch for at Kentucky Downs in this in this trainer uh, area is hot and cold connections. It, it's crazy that in a short little meet like they have at Kentucky Downs, it, it, almost every year that they've run, there has been one or two extremely hot connections. And it, it's, it's usually, you know, it, it, it's a rider that gets hot riding for that hot trainer. And then that rider just gets confident and uh, is in the zone. And then it doesn't matter who they're riding for. You know, they just, they dominate the meet. So, um, you know, don't know who it'll be this year. I know the uh, the New York riders are probably riding uh, at Saratoga through Labor Day. So they'll show up late for, uh, for Kentucky Downs. I would, you know, I would pay special attention. I don't know exactly what Gaff Leon's, uh, uh, what his plans are. I would be surprised if he's not, you know, if he's not present, uh, the first day I've actually had the form printed out and I hadn't, I hadn't looked at it yet, but, um, uh, Gaff Leone is a guy that, um, I, you know, I expect him to come back to life. Uh, you know, once they start racing at Kentucky Downs, and you know the the usual suspects um you know the the new york riders the ortiz brothers have been fantastic at kentucky downs both of them um and rosario of course is you know his patient style and strong finish uh capabilities work perfectly at kentucky downs so uh you know, that that's no news flash there, but I'm looking to uh you know have more confidence in plays where I like the horse and those guys are on board and even though I take a little beating in the price, it's worth it for me because uh, you know, I think I think riders are important over that course. Um also I, I'll be looking for uh you know some other jockey that 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 shows that that he's in form opening day, and I'll especially look especially be looking for trainers that outperform and it, like we always talk about and like we wrote in the book, um, you know you have to be light on your feet you have to be quick, but uh, if 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 you'll pay a little attention to, and and, and it's it's fairly easy you're gonna hear. You can't really escape the trainers and riders that are winning the races. You're going to hear that name. You're going to see their name on the, on the screen. Uh, but if, if you'll pay attention to the horses that outperform their odds, uh, opening day, first couple of days, and if there's a rider that shows up twice, three times in that small sample, that's enough for me. I'm I'm on board. I'm gonna I'm gonna move that guy up. Am I gonna bet everything he runs? He rides. No, but I'll probably include everything he, he rides in some um, in some part of my exotic betting. So uh, for whatever reason, and it 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 hasn't consistently been the same trainer. It hasn't consistently been the same jockey. But for whatever reason, the hot connection angle. Has worked very well at Kentucky Downs in the past, and I expect it to continue.
0: Terrific stuff, Mike. Do you have a closing thought or anything else you pulled that you want to share before I let you get out of here and we bring on the next guest?
1: Not really, Pete. I have, you know, I have a thousand rants I can go into, but I'm (laughs) going to spare you that today. I'm just going to, you know, wish everybody uh, heartfelt uh, good luck at the meet and uh, playing the horses is a, it's a challenging proposition. Uh, you know, we uh, we don't get the respect we deserve from the people that run this game. Uh, so we take a lot of bumps along the way. But uh, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, that are dyed in the wool horse players, uh, I hope it works out for you, and uh, uh, let's get it done.
0: Mike, we're going to have you back on very soon. We'll do a special show in September with some evergreen content, if we can find it some time in your busy schedule. We always appreciate you coming on here. And I think you've given us some great, great stuff. Thank you, my friend.
1: Anytime, Pete.
0: We are proud to be partnering with our friends over at Open Stable. You're gonna hear a bit more about that in this next segment. But just want to remind folks the URL openstable.io to learn about the Epicenter Legendary Racing Prospect NFT. And there's so much more going on over there as well openstable.io next up on the show guy we've been hearing a lot from lately on the in the money media network he's here now to talk about kentucky downs from an owner's perspective as well as to give us a little bit of an update on the epicenter nft project from big blue nation racing he is brian klatsky brian what's going on are you still floating
2: what's going on pete i'm still um uh, it's more than floating i'm I'm weighted down from too many nights of dinners in Saratoga. <laughs> <laughs> That'll keep you on the ground. We'll get to we'll get to the
0: epicenter NFT project in a minute. Let's start off by talking about Kentucky Downs itself. We were chatting about this off air earlier. It really seems like the kind of meat that has changed the way an ownership group such as yours approaches their calendar year. Is that fair to say?
2: Absolutely. Uh, for me, racing you know has always been around Saratoga. Um, You know, as as I've talked about recently, you know, I learned about racing at Skidmore. So everything for me always was targeting Saratoga. Um, And about five years ago, we put together BBN Racing, Big Blue Nation. And a lot of that stemmed from what was going on with the KTDF and how purse money trends were changing. And really, um, Kentucky racing has become exceptional for, for, you know, for our trainers, Rusty Arnold and Vicky Oliver, you know, Kentucky Downs has always been a great option for the, for the purse money and turf racing but from us on an ownership perspective being able to to go through Keeneland and 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 buy the best athlete and not necessarily be focused on turf on turf or dirt to have that opportunity to to have Kentucky Downs waiting for you at the end of the summer um has always has been has been great for us we changed our strategy a little bit this year um last year we ran a few more horses at Colonial at Ellis, but this year we gave pretty much everything that we're bringing out at Kentucky Downs the month of August off to really have fresh legs. That's interesting. Earlier
0: in the show, we were talking about the combination of pointing for the Kentucky Downs meet, but also needing to have a fit horse. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about how your strategy has changed around this meet.
2: Well, the thing that's really interesting about Kentucky Downs is, you know, some horses love it and some horses hate it. Um, there's a lot of guesswork to go into that, but when you've had horses that have been over the course, it definitely creates an advantage. Uh, when you're going into a race and you've been over it, you can think about it differently. You know, we've had scenarios where we were in $750,000 at seven to two and the horse runs last. And we thought we had, you know, the horse as doing as, as good as a horse can do going into the race. And it just happens to be, didn't. Get over the footing, um, you know, got a little, the, the undulating surface created uh, a different response than we were expecting. So for us, we have a stable of roughly 20 horses and we've got about eight of them targeted for races at Kentucky Downs. And except for the two year olds, you know, a majority of them have been over the course and run well over the course. So as we get them fit for Kentucky Downs, it's, you know, there isn't much. You do differently in training, but it's about just having them fresh, you know, shipping to New York and back is a 14 hour van ride and it does take a lot. So running in early August, mid August, you, you know, you might have a bit of a tired horse for us. It was like, let's sit on a couple horses from Haskell day and hold them out um, until Kentucky Downs, rather than trying to squeeze something in between.
0: I wasn't planning on making you do a proper uh, stable tour here for BBN, (laughs) but Hey, that's the way that that, that's the way my brain is going now that I want to ask you, maybe don't run them all down, but let us know a few of the horses you're most excited about running at this meet.
2: Well, let's, let's start by saying we have the utmost respect for Chad Brown's barn and whether we're running in um, New York or Kentucky, um, New Jersey, it seems like, you know, Chad's got three in there and we're, we're hoping to get a piece of it. One of the things we thought about, you know, with Kentucky Downs was having a Kentucky bread to capture the full purse is really important. And our logic was, you know, a lot of Chad's stable is European bread and they don't get to run for the same purse money at um, a Kentucky Downs as they would in New York. So I, I would say that we made a, a guess that Chad would keep... A majority of his horses pointed towards the greatest stakes in Saratoga and not have them, you know, dialed in here at Kentucky Downs. So one horse that, you know, comes to mind is Kentucky Ghost, who's in the Mint 1000000 on um, Saturday. And just we got lucky in the sense that Chad doesn't have an entrant in the race. So after going up to the Haskell, running against his group up there, running uh, against Kristoff, I mean, you, you know, you saw – um, quite a group in New Jersey. And we got a little bit of uh, you know, a break here. Um, and you see a lot of more of the, the Kentucky-centric stables um, in, in that race. This is worth underlining this
0: point about uh, the KTDF and how they've changed how a stable such as yours might campaign horse's tell us about the importance of the KTDF and that purse boost that you're getting and do back up at a high level and explain to people what we're talking about. If they don't fully know,
2: well, you know, looking the KTDF supplements, uh, the purse money for all Kentucky racing. So if you are a Kentucky bred, you are running for a significantly greater purse than if you are not Kentucky bred. For example, um, I don't have it in front of me, but if you pull, if you just look in the form, it'll show, uh, the, you know, the purse of 160,000 and I think 75,000 that could be coming from the KTDF. So, if I'm a European bred, um, and something from Ireland showing up at Kentucky Downs, they are running for basically half the purse that that Kentucky bred horse is running for. So, you can get that same purse money without the ship by staying in New York. So, for the Kentucky based outfits that can ship two and a half hours from the training center, from Keeneland, from Churchill, to get to Kentucky Downs, it's, it's an unbelievable option. The KTDF has created a, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of opportunity for us to buy Kentucky breads and, uh, and run them in Kentucky.
0: We're going to have you back on to talk specifically about Saturday's big race and some of the other stuff that's going to be happening at Kentucky Downs. But I do want to give you a chance to name, check, slash, highlight some of the other horses in your stable who our listeners should be paying attention to.
2: Well, one of, I mean, one of them is uh, Mustache. He's a two-year-old that um, won first time out at Ellis at five and a half on the turf. He happens to be uh, Hidden Stash's half brother. Um, Hidden Stash was a horse that we bought um, by Constitution. We got him right before Constitution blew up um, that year with all of his two-year-old winners. Um, we bought him for fifty thousand, and, and he, he ran in the and ran in the Derby. He was uh, second in the Tampa Derby. And for him, um, he's been a you know been some a horse that we've uh, obviously gotten emotionally attached to. And when we saw his half brother uh, at Keeneland last year, um, we saw a lot of the same traits. So we bought him, named him Mustache, and he won at first asking at five and a half at Ellis. And we'll be bringing him out um, on the eighth. We haven't decided if we're going to run him in the five hundred thousand um, dollar six and a half or in the Keeneland special, um, allowance race. Uh, Peter, are you familiar with the Keeneland race?
0: I am, but you tell the listeners about it.
2: So this is an, um, this is a really cool, um, project that Kentucky downs has done with Keeneland. They've created a race for $250,000 for two year old boys and one for girls. Um, it, the, the, the restrictions are, you just had to go through the ring at Keeneland. It could have been, um, an RNA, Uh, or a purchase price doesn't matter, but you had to go through the ring to be eligible for the race. So on the eighth, there's two races available. There's the 500 stake, and there's also the Keeneland race. So we'll, we'll have to make a a decision as we get closer, but both are, you know, um, races that are very interesting to us. And I, and I think he's a horse that you want to be on the lookout for. Um, We're going to put him in a position where He's got a great chance to win here. We think he's a really nice horse. Um, and that, that, that's one, one of the cool um, creative things that they do at Kentucky Downs is to come up with, you know, a spot like that. We've seen the restricted RNA type maiden specials, but they took it to another level. We're just, uh, you know, going through the ring. So it, it. it eliminates a lot of the really well homebred horses, you know, and it, it you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, who shows up. It's the first year for it, and and we're excited to uh, have the opportunity to uh, look at that.
0: I have a general form study Kentucky Downs question for you, and then, of course, I'm not going to let you get out here without giving us an epicenter update, but we were talking earlier in the show with Mike Maloney about how important that horse for course angle is and some of the things that he looks for for a horse that may not have form over the Kentucky Downs oval, but something that will help predict success. Do you have any advice about that? Are there any things that you've seen from your runners or, or other runners at other racetracks that make you think, Ooh, that might be a good one for Kentucky downs?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, the first thing we, we assume is that a mile at Kentucky downs is not it's the same as a mile somewhere else. So sometimes if you see a horse that wants more ground you just can make the assumption that if he's running at the same distance at Kentucky Downs, he is getting more ground.
0: It's like a um, mile and an eighth or a mile yes. and a quarter, even would you say?
2: Yes. So like we do like, for example, a Kentucky Ghost, we have him in the flat mile. We think his best distance is probably a mile 16 to a mile and eighth, but we're comfortable running him at a mile at Kentucky Downs. Cause we know with, with the Hills and the surface that you are going to get that same kind of, you know, it, it, the distances you think about it differently. Um, But one of the things that I've always found is certain jocks learn the course quicker in the meet. I would use the first day as a a reference point and see who's riding the course really well, who moved up a horse, who knows the right right lanes to be in. Um, Obviously, the course can change over the 14 days, but I would say weekend to weekend, it probably could be pretty consistent. So what you see on Thursday carries through Sunday, and then it resets for the following week but you know, last year, Joel Rosario figured out the right path. Um, and he was moving everything up that he got on, you know, he walked the course, he does his research. And so this year I would look and say, Hey, who moved a horse up significantly in the first day to sort of get an idea of, okay. Um, jockey ABC has figured out how to ride this course. It's, you know, and it will work last year may not work this year. So I, I and, and there's also the advantage of guys that have been here the two weekends and get really comfortable around it. You know, obviously Saratoga overlaps the first weekend and then on the 10th, um, that weekend, everybody from Saratoga makes their way down. So guys that, from the jock colony that were there opening weekend are guys that I would probably be more focused on um, on the second weekend as they get a more feel for the course.
0: I knew you were a sharp guy and you've just proved it. Cause Mike, you know, professional player as respected as anybody when it comes to playing horses made that exact same point about looking for the hot jockey early. And, and I think for, for largely the same reasons you're, you're putting forth any other specific notes about Kentucky downs before we pivot and talk a little bit about Epicenter.
2: Yeah. One thing I will tell you is do not trust the board. It is not at all an indicator of live money. I don't think, um, you know. I think you can you can get a lot of hints from the tote board in um, in places like Saratoga, but I've seen more forty and fifty to one horses um, hit at, at Kentucky Downs than anywhere else. I would I would use trust your own instincts rather than let the odds dictate opinion. I'm big on always trying to find signs on the tote board. But I I think I want to close my eyes to the tote board when I'm handicapping this year.
0: Very, very good stuff. And again, the lines very much with a lot of the stuff Mike was saying about how he's much more inclined to spread at Kentucky Downs in his exotics than he is at other tracks. So back to Epicenter. Obviously, um, there's a connection as we have the owner of Epicenter and the, the owner of Kentucky Downs, Ron Winchell, one in the same. But your real connection to this horse is through this legendary racing prospect NFT project we had on Randy the other day. He had an amazing time winning those paddock passes and getting that once in a lifetime racing fan experience. I want to hear your thoughts on the big race and a little bit of an update on what, you know, that's going on with the big horse since he hit the wire.
2: Well, he, it was, it was a fantastic day. Um, Traverse to me is the highlight of the summer. Um, and uh, he 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 did everything we had hoped for in that race the mile and a quarter was well within his scope i think that um steve has done a remarkable job um getting him ready for to be able to come back and 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 and, and go from jim dandy to traverse and, and run those races the way he did it looked like he was probably 85% um where he needed him going into jim dandy to have him peaking at traverse time uh, Right now, it's uh, you know nothing has been nothing is locked in. You know from what we we've heard, you know there is, you know right now on the table there is the the thought of training into the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, obviously, that can change. There's a lot of moving parts. He, you know the horse is stabled up in Saratoga. When he comes to Kentucky, is still up in the air. Um, you know he's thrived up there this summer, so I don't know if there's a rush to get out of him. But these are all decisions that, you know, Steve will make over the next week or so to figure out what's the best way to train into the Breeders' Cup. If there is a race involved, um, it's because the horse is probably telling you he wants that race. But, I, you know, I think just Steve has done a remarkable job in general um, as he's been able to, you know, to have the stable he has and the results. Um, he's, he's an unbelievable horseman. So but that's just, clear follow his lead and and uh and whatever he tells um whatever information comes down we were we we are excited about it
0: and i want to talk about the nft specifically obviously you had a lot of happy people when we talked to randy he said they've received their digital trophy for the dandy i imagine there'll be another one maybe even a little bit more impressive one coming for this grade one score i want you to tell folks a little bit about what they can expect if they're NFT holders. They have this essentially access pass to uh, the the best Epicenter fan club out there and how they can get involved, of course, as well.
2: No, and Ron, Ron you know, Ron, as, you know, the owner of a Kentucky Downs is all about being innovative and doing things creative to grow the game. So the, the NFT project around with Open Stable around Epicenter, you, you couldn't ask for a better partner. Um, creativity is the key to this. You know, we, are going to offer any one of the epicenter NFT holders, VIP tickets for Kentucky downs, um, to celebrate the wins of anyone that owns that NFT. They get, they'll, they'll get emails and how they can just, um, get a tickets, you know, through our, our support team. We look at this as not, this is not an NFT project. This is really a grow the game club be a part of the horse um, and, and, and learn what really goes on behind the scenes. And through real life experiences and digital content, fans get a really unique look inside what I think could be one of racing's biggest stars for, you know, like a star we haven't seen since our, our last two triple crown winners. So it's really exciting that Epicenter has, you know, evolved into that kind of horse and um, it's been it's been great. So uh, you mentioned the the digital trophy NFT that was dropped to all of the uh, holders as of the Jim Dandy date. Um, they have that. It's not available for sale. You get that special digital collectible only if you own the NFT on that date. You know, for the Traverse, we are actually going to do something a little bit different. That was a uh, a digital trophy. But for Traverse, it's going to be a uh, an art um, a commission art project, uh, celebrating the Traverse win of the connections. And that will be dropped to those that own the NFT on, on Traverse day. So creating really cool collectibles as rewards, um, both digitally and in real life is what, um, it, the project is all about. So we're really excited. And, you know, like you mentioned Randy the other day, I think we've made Randy a, uh, a race, You know, and even more of a race fan for life because he got a chance to touch and feel and see what really goes on. And, you know, my whole thing is there's the gambling side where horses are names and numbers. But on the sports side of this, these are real athletes with a team that spends day and night preparing them. No, no differently than you would think of an NBA player that has his own trainer and his coaches and his nutritionists that are around him 24 seven, getting him ready to play in an NBA season or to carry him through the season. So I, I think it's great for the for fans to go to the next step through this type of project because it's not often that you get access to these kinds of horses. You know, historically. Um, these type of horses are, are, are closed to one or two owners and, and and being able to have Ron partner um, with the fan has been unbelievable
0: openstable.io That's the place to go to learn more. I'm sure if you reach out to the team there with any questions, they can be answered. You're going to be hearing a lot more about this project as well as some of the other stuff Brian and the team have cooking. but really wanted to get you on here to talk a little Kentucky Downs. I loved your ideas about the meet, and I'm looking forward to putting your feet to the fire on the late week show and having you make some selections as well if you're game for that.
2: I'm game for it. And oh, the last note is, you know, as much as we're having fun with Epicenter, this is, we're just getting started here. Our plan is to incorporate, you know, different owners, different groups, and and really get the fan close to racing's biggest stars. Um, and that And that's where we're going with all of this.
0: Brian, thank you so much for your time today. We'll be talking very soon. Thanks, Pete. Fixed Odds betting powered by Betmakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on Fixed Odds than they are on the tote. Fixed Odds wagering is now available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to be hearing a lot more about Fixed Odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network, and Betmakers are proud sponsors of our Kentucky Downs daily shows. Check them out. They're going to be great. in the MoneyPodcast.com. Next up on the show, very happy to bring in a friend who also happens to be the director of racing at Kentucky Downs. He's given out a lot of winners on these airwaves too. Here today, he'll be talking more
3: generally about the upcoming Kentucky Downs. Meet, he's the hammer, Rick Hammerly. How are things, my friend? Things are great. Settling in here in uh, Franklin, Kentucky for the for the soon to be opened uh, Kentucky Downs, which opens that's, September first.
0: That's right. That's this Thursday for those scoring at home. But the meat's a little different this year. You've got an extra day, and the days are a little different than they've been in years past. So let's just start with the
3: super basics. When are you guys running? So we open. We it, it's we open uh, for se- our seven days of racing, like you said, but they're not consecutive, so it's a little different. So we open on the on the first September first, which is a Thursday. And then we'll come back and run the 3rd and the 4th, which is Saturday, Sunday, and then we'll come back next Thursday, the 8th, and then we'll come back and run the next weekend, of course, the 10th and the 11th, and end on Wednesday, the 14th. So the, the dates are 1, 3, 4, 8, 10, 11, and 14. So seven days, which happens to be the biggest, uh, the longest meet we've ever run here. So we're, we're kind of happy about that.
0: Very exciting stuff. This is a track that has a lot of things that horse players say they want. We're going to get into some of those particulars. I know you were involved in the contest. We're going to have Brian Sperka on a little bit later in the show to talk about the particulars of it, but I know you were pleased with how it turned out last year, and it's going. To, that's also going to be a little bit different this year.
3: Uh, yes once again uh, you know, we have got we've got the turf challenge which we, we since our racing is all on the turf for those of you who don't know that every race is on the turf it's it's really it's really unique and so we've come up with a three-day turf challenge and the winner of that will be coined the the uh, turf handicapping turf champion and receive a championship belt and it really worked out well last year and uh, Brian will talk a little bit more about it so you don't have to play the three days as he'll mention but we're going to we're going to have the the contest days are going to be the first the fourth and the 11th so it won't be so draining to go three straight days as uh, we all know that that could be pretty good so we're stretched out and, and like I said Brian Skirka who's the contest king and and uh Really helps put these things together. We're really hoping for a big turnout. And, and uh, with the big fields involved, it's, just, uh, it, it's, it's open season. There are no favorites involved here.
0: That's right. Kenny Malacone, who won last year. I'm going to try to have him on for a little segment next week. Talk to him about his experience winning that first uh, King of the Turf Challenge. We're going to have a pretty link on the website to get you to be able to sign up the moneypodcast.com turf
3: we talked about uh, having the champion on I said that's got to be pretty cool he can you know walk around with the championship belt and you know <laughs> have the perfect- I
0: wonder if you'll we'll wear it to this year's tournament we'll get into more particulars on that I want you here today for the higher level stuff my friend jockeys and trainers to pay attention to but let's start with something more basic than that you mentioned all turf but this isn't your average USA Turf course, tight, left-handed turns inside a dirt track. Very, very different configuration, more, much more galloping configuration that's going to serve certain horses more than others. Tell us what we're dealing with.
3: Well, I think it's safe to say that there's not another course, race course in the United States that even comes close to this. Um, it's not an oval. It's a mile and 5 16ths around. So from finish line to finish line is a mile and 5 16ths. And I, I, I try to come up with like a... a it's not a paper clip it's not close to a paper clip but if it were a paper clip it would be thinner on on the right right end and fatter on the left end so mm-hmm. um as as we as you leave the finish line and head into the the clubhouse turn the first time you, know, you just kind of there's not a whole lot going on there and you ease into a little tighter turn and as you head up the back stretch the the mile pole is right there on the turn and then you start going up a little bit of a hill Uh, And it's a little bit of a left-hand turn, and then when you hit the six and a half pole, headed to the three-quarter pole, you make a right turn before you enter that big bank turn that I've kind of coined as the Daytona turn. As as when you're down at ground level, it's really, really pronounced. And as you come to the to the midpoint of that turn, you still have a half a mile to run. So it's uh, in your mind you're thinking, well, you know, they're almost done. Well, they're not. So then they come out of that turn. And when it's kind of straightens out, you hit the quarter pole. And so when they have hit that straightaway, they still have a quarter mile to go. And when they get, I'm gonna say, halfway through that about the eighth pole, it makes a slight turn to the left and just a a slight uphill climb to the finish line. Not terribly pronounced, but uh, when you, for those of you that aren't here and are watching it on television, it seems as if that stretch goes on forever uh, and it does, and so it's really cool to watch that. So you'll see a lot of horses enter, Peter. That you'll see the KD in the in the in the running lines that maybe running it two or three years in a row. You'll find that if they've run well here and they like this course, they can't wait to get back here.
0: It makes sense. Again, just so so different. You, you see some horses that love the three turn grass races you might have at in on the New York circuit. That might be the opposite type of horse, you know, because there you're running around the turn the whole time here. Well, you have to be handy enough to take a turn. There's also a lot more room to make up ground when you level off and make that run. And to me, it's just very logical. And I'm sure we're recording this out of order, but I'm sure Mike is also going to talk in the first segment about how potent the horse for course angle is at Kentucky Downs. What distances do you run?
3: Well, we, like I I said, uh, it's a mile and five sixteenths around. We will run that distance, um, you know, not as often as, as, uh, as other distances, but that will be, that's on the plate. Um, You know, the meat and potatoes, the sprints are six and a half. There is a seven. Uh, We'll run a mile. We'll run a mile and a sixteenth. So, you know, not, nothing uh, out of the ordinary there. Uh, It's just, uh, you know, all of, all the, uh, we'll all experience that, you know, that, that turn and that long stretch, of course, you know, coming into it. One thing that's also, I know, fairly unique here is we don't really allow, we, we have training, quote, training for some of the horses that are here, um, but it's only jogging. So the, you'll you'll see no official works. They're not, they don't do anything but, but get a jog over the course if they want to in the morning. So it's kind of a level playing field, uh, so to speak. There's not a, you know, horses got here two weeks ago and they've got two or three works over the course. That's not the case here. They're basically coming in uh, fresh uh, unless they've galloped in the morning. And uh, so that's kind of unique as well. It's, it, we, we like that. Um, I want to
0: talk about some of the connections who've had success. And then I want to look at some of the highlights of the racing program. I know you have some Breeders' Cup win and you in action and, a, and an interesting program for two year olds. I want to shine a light on some of that. But let's start with some of the humans. We talked about horses for courses. Surely there are humans who particularly excel either through their training methods or or ridership styles.
3: Right. So uh, we'll go through through last year's uh, colony. Interestingly enough, so this year's meet overlaps the way the calendar falls, overlaps a few days of of the final days of Saratoga. And go, Delmar goes well into September this year. And so you won't see some of those riders that were here early in the meet uh, compete. They'll finish up and then we'll see them trickle in as, as they go. So last year, uh, the the leading rider here, which is you know one of the leading riders anywhere, is Joel Rosario. If it strikes me right, I can remember him winning just got off to it just a tremendous lead early. He won every, every, everything he was riding in the first few days uh, he rolled. So he led the league here with 17 wins. And then following him was Tyler Gaflione, uh, uh, Le Peru, Irad uh, uh, Ortiz, who came in, you know, not for, for – uh, wasn't here the whole meet, Adam Biskitza, Brian Hernandez, Rafael Bejarano, and Luis Saez were in there, Florent Giroux so you know a lot of the local guys here and then you know some come in for for part of the meet but that was those were the like the top seven or eight uh trainer wise you know nothing really different there but what's odd is we had we had three guys lead the league with four wins so that that doesn't tell you that things get spread out here nothing will mike maker steve asmussen and brendan walsh led the league or led the meet with four wins but oddly enough uh, Mike Maker and Steve Aspison, who you know just run a tremendous amount of horses wherever they are, they had over forty starts for their four wins, and and uh, Brendan Walsh only had nineteen starts for his four wins. So uh, you know whatever you want to make of that. And following them on the list, Joe Sharp, uh, Brad Cox, Wesley Ward, Rusty Arnold, Brian Lynch, and, and Shug Shug McGahey. All those had three um, wins. So like I said, we ran last year. I think we ran sixty-four races. So, you know, to have only to four win the title is little little it just shows you how much to, a lot of players win here. So, it's yeah. not uh you're not going to see a runaway. You're sure that's no. well for sure.
0: No, and it it's competitive and and the names that are up there are certainly logical. We'll have talked to Mike about some of his pet trainers. I remember him saying I think 2 years ago on our Kentucky Downs preview show how much he liked Brendan Walsh specifically at Kentucky Downs. Funny to see how that angle's gone forward. And well, let's talk about the racing program a little bit in the last couple minutes, we have here, Hammer. I know that uh, you guys are very, very proud of the top level of racing. Uh, tell us about the the stakes program.
3: Well, um, first of all, we're giving away two and a half million dollars a day in purses, which is you know, <laughs> it's unheard of, um, but uh, it's just wonderful to be able to do that. Maiden races are one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars here. Uh, which is also unheard of, and we're going to try and you know break as many maidens as we can here. It's it's great. So we run eighteen stakes, and uh, from various distances, from two-year-olds to, to to older, and you know at least one a day. We're taking entries today for the first Saturday. We'll have three stakes on that day, um, but the big day that you mentioned will come on the second Saturday, which is September tenth, where we'll have two of our three two of our three million dollar races, which will be the Kentucky Cup. Uh, at a mile and a half, and then the the FanDuel Turf Sprint, which is uh, six and a half furlongs for older horses, and those two those two are the win-in-your-ends, the Breeders' Cup win-in-your-ends that we'll talk to. They're both grade twos, and they're headed in the right direction, and uh, hopefully we get one of those up to a grade one here this year. Also on that card is the Ladies' Turf for fillies and mares going a mile, uh, the Franklin Simpson for three-year-olds going six and a half, and the ladies sprint for the Phillies and mares going six and a half. So that's our, that's our quote, you know, big day that, that, um, that's, that Saturday we'll run 12 races. Well, we're normally we'll run 10 during the week and 11 on the other weekend day. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's looking for a bonanza. We drew the first day already, uh, eight of the 10 races, uh, have full, full fields of 12. I think we're drawing 11 for saturday and i think we have eight or nine races with 12 so uh you if you're gonna handicap you might want to just set the timer like for another 15 or 20 minutes to go over the card um i got one little interesting stat i always try to do some stuff and look it back because it's only six days you can look at the you can look at the entire thing and this is just i wanted to see where the horses came from that that won the race. And this strictly now, obviously the tracks on top are probably going to have more runners than these other ones. But just to let you know, uh, Ellis park had the most winners. In other words, the horses that won here, their lap made their last start at Ellis park second behind them. They had 18 winners. Saratoga was second with 17 winners. Okay. So, you know, those two won the most races and obviously they probably came from the most, uh, starters, but, the next highest uh, start were first time starters. So I wanted to get that in. So five five we went from 1817 down to 5. There were five first time starters that won races here last year. So I wanted to get that out to the fact that, yes, a first time starter can win here. Yeah. And um, you know sometimes you'll hear, well, what are they going to think about it? But they've, they've done fine here. We had winners from Churchill, Aqueduct, uh, Del Mar, Mammoth, Colonial, Fairgrounds, Woodbine, Lone Star, Mountaineer, Indy, Gulfstream, and two from Europe. So do not be afraid of that last start location. They can win from anywhere and, and they have. So uh, just wanted to throw that in there for, 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 for whatever you want to make of it. But I just copied that down and, and kind of found it interesting that that first time starter was was up there. Yeah. So don't don't you think to... it'd be a
0: hard course for, for a first time starter. Maybe some of it is the amount of maiden races. You mentioned about having a lot of maiden races. The purses are huge. And especially if you're a Kentucky bred, if I'm remembering that right.
3: Well, that, that, the, the money that, that supplements many of these or all these purses comes from the KTDF funding. And uh, the, the top dollar you see is for Kentucky bread. So if you see like a hundred, the, the maidens, let me mention the maiden purses are 150. $70,000 of that comes from the KTDF. So if you're not a Kentucky bred, you're running for 80, which is still a healthy amount. And, um, you know, the races are broken down into the, into the KTDF funding, which allows the purses to grow as much. And, you know, it's, uh, it's building the program here in Kentucky. And uh, it has worked out great with the, with the overall theme being to try and keep the horses in Kentucky. In other words, the circuit uh, has grown strong and uh kentucky downs has been able to help that uh with by you know helping out some of the other tracks with some of the purse money ellis park a, a track in particular so the idea being you know let's make the circuit strong so you don't even have to leave kentucky uh, your entire year between churchill and keeneland and here and ellis park and turfway you're running for a lot of money and you really don't have to leave the state so that was the, uh the ktdf funding was was derived and and uh you know that's that's the that's the the main goal for for all this purse money
0: we're going to talk to somebody from the ktdf chauncey or we'll see we'll see who we get but i do want to inform listeners a little bit more about how that program works Does it stand to reason, Rick, that as robust as the racing usually is at Kentucky Downs, with there not being turf racing in the three-week Churchill meet that's coming up, that it could be even better and more oversubscribed and fuller fields than ever at this Kentucky Downs meet?
3: Well, you know, being superstitious, we try not to think, bring it up, but that's what we're thinking. Yes, exactly. You know, know, but um, I didn't mean to jinx you. No, no. Well, you said it. I did it. So we're okay. (laughs) um but as, and also as well last year if you'll remember uh Churchill Downs was under construction I think they were putting in there they were doing some stuff there they might have been putting in that turf course so stabling wasn't available there so and a lot of guys like to like to kind of stable there and and, sh- and use that as a satellite facility to come come in and out of here because let's remember this is not this is a this is a run and go track meaning Uh, We only have enough stalls here for basically horses to come in, run the race. And then, Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming. Now uh, you got to leave because we have to get the next day's horses in. So um, we have about 50 horses stabled here full time, but that's it. The rest of them will line up. The scariest thing in the world is we open on Thursday here on September 1st on Wednesday at noon they won't be more than five horses on the grounds and you're going, Oh my gosh. And then about 10 o'clock at night, there's a line down this down the road and they all come in and they start coming in and then they run on Thursday and then they got to leave because we got to get ready for the horses that come in on Saturday. So it's, it's, it's it's a ship and go. Yeah, uh, Like
0: Europe. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me yeah. th- almost exactly of, of how it works over there. European in, in many ways. Do you expect some shippers? You mentioned there were two European winners last year. Are you expecting some uh, participation from overseas this year? So
3: we, we've we made a we've made a, a little bit of a push this year. As like I said, last year, Churchill wasn't open in their quarantine facility. And so we w- weren't able to work it out. So we've had we had some inquiries. Uh, as far as I know, they decided not to come yet, uh, not to come this year. We have, we have some horses that have shipped over and are running in New York, have been running in New York, that are going to ship down here, some of the Joseph O'Brien horses, and I know there will be a couple others as well. Um, so but we got everything set up. We went through like a trial run. So we'll make a bigger push next year that it will be very convenient for them to ship over, uh, do their quarantine at Churchill, and then come down here. So um, – and I think once we – You know, get a few of them here and they see the layout, uh, the word will spread. And, uh, you know, it's been a kind of three or four-year plan to get this going. And I think we'll see more and more uh, as the years go by here for sure. Great stuff,
0: Rick. Appreciate you. We got Brian in the green room. So uh, we'll let you get about your day. Appreciate you coming
3: on. And maybe we'll check in with you before the end of the meet. I hope to talk to you during the meet. And we'll, uh, you know, maybe give out a winner or two. Next up on the show, as promised, the man who's helping out with the
0: contest series happening at Kentucky Downs. He's usually here to talk all things Monmouth Park. He's Brian Skirka. How are things, Brian? Pete, I am doing great. Thanks for
4: having me as always.
0: We talked a little bit with Rick about the concept of this turf champion handicapping contest interconnected series.
4: Tell folks how it works. So this year it's three one-day contests. It's the first one that's coming up this Thursday, September 1st. The contest number two is Sunday, September 4th. Third contest is Sunday, September 11th. So they're all different buy-ins. They're all individual contests on their own. So if you don't want to play in all three of them, you know, each contest is a standalone contest with standalone prizing. But at the end of the contest, the one player that plays in all has the highest cumulative total amongst the three contests is named overall champion is named king of the turf they get a BCBC seat, and maybe even more coveted they get a championship wwe style belt which <laughs> is given out at the awards dinner at the nhc so like i said all, all three contests are standalone contests The the one on thursday has three nhc seats in cash as the prizes the one on sunday september 4th has one bcbc two nhc in cash and then the third one on Sunday, September 11th, has two BCBC, three NHC in cash. But then again, in addition, the uh, the overall championship is also coveted for that uh, additional BCBC seed and coveted uh, championship belt.
0: I'm, I'm excited to talk to Kenny on a future show who won that uh, last year. Maybe we'll get a picture of him in the belt and Regalia. You mentioned the different price points. Starts off with a $400 game on Thursday $500 game on the Sunday September 4th and then the biggest one the $800 buy-in on Sunday the 11th. You have to play in all 3 to be eligible for the for the bigger championship, is that right?
4: You do um so to be eligible for the for the overall championship and the belt you have to play in all 3, but again if you don't have to play in all 3 um, period, you know, if, if you're only available to play in one or two of them, that's, that's fine. And again, each one stands, counts as a standalone contest. You get NHC tour points and everything as if, as if it's its own contest. But to be eligible for the, the king of the turf cumulative championship, you have to play in all three.
0: I think it makes sense. I mean, it's certainly better value to take a shot at that uh, bigger one as well. But, you know, life circumstances get in the way, and you can only play in two or th- or one. You, that works, too. We're talking about some pretty big prize pools here, I would imagine.
4: Yeah, no, we did, um, you know, this is year three of this series. So year one, it really, you know, took off by, with flying colors. I think we were in the low 200s for all three of the contests. Last year, through a, a couple different things you know the nhc being much later kind of got in the way of these contests they were a week after the nhc when everyone was still recovering from vegas and the the price points were a little higher higher last year so we went back down to a little bit more of a reasonable prize point where it's seventeen hundred dollars if you want to play in all three. I feel like that that fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars sweet spot is usually where I like to be. So it's I think it's more of a reasonable price point to play in all three of them. But so I, I would expect probably somewhere in the two hundred or so uh, entries for all three contests. Which, as you said, will uh, the the, pri- the prizes that I gave out are based on one fifty. So if we do get two hundred entries, what I gave earlier will even go up from there.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be it's going to be terrific. We're looking forward to covering this meet end these contests one really important note though you got to act fast obviously this show dropping on wednesday if you're playing on tvg you've got to get it in i believe you have to be registered basically by the end of the day wednesday it may even be too late for a tvg person when you're listening to this good news is on express Bet, you've got a little bit more time am i remembering and describing that correctly
4: you are yep so these contests are on on online only um, you could physically be at Kentucky Downs if you want, but you still want to have your bets online. So TV and ExpressBet are the only ways to do that. If you're playing through TVG, as you said, you have to be pre-registered with me. Um, bskirk at com is how you can contact me. You have to be pre-registered with me by 5 p.m. on the day before the contest, so Wednesday for Thursday, Saturday for Sunday. ExpressBet takes entries directly through their site, so you can either sign up with me if you're playing through ExpressBet or sign up right on their site, and that deadline is post-time for the race one, the day of the contest. So if you want to sign up directly through ExpressBet, you can do that up until, I believe, 145 uh, is the Eastern time zone um, post time for race one for Kentucky down. So you can sign up right through the, the first race.
0: Be Skirka at monmouthpark.com. That's the best way to get in touch with Brian. And I do want to underline when I was saying you have to act now, that's if you want it to be in that first contest slash eligible for all three. Obviously, if you're just looking to play the other ones, you've got a little bit more time. You've got a little bit more breathing room as far as this goes. We created a little pretty link, Brian, that takes you right to the – information and place to sign up in the money podcast.com slash King turf. That'll bring you right there. Any other places where people can go to get more information or, or does that about sum it up?
4: That's a good spot. I think there's a landing page on Kentucky Downs' website. So if you go there, basically everything just links you back to there's a PDF of the rules on the entry form and has my contact info on there. So you would either go to one of the places that you mentioned, your link, Kentucky Downs' website, or if you just want to email me directly, again, bskirk at monmouthpark.com. We'll get you all signed up and taken care of.
0: That's the info you need to know. You'll be hearing more about these contests, much more about the Kentucky Downs meet on the In The Money Media Network. Brian, thank you for popping by. Thanks as always, Pete. That's going to do it for today's show. want to thank all of today's guests and all of today's sponsors. Really appreciate the support. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you for listening, making these shows fun to do. We had a lot of requests for extra Kentucky Downs content, and we are bringing it this year. Hopefully it works out very well for all of you. Put in a couple of quick plugs. We'll tell folks you can sign up for our Plus service if you want even more content. Little digests of all the picks that are going to be on these Kentucky Down shows in the slash Plus for that. And our free email newsletter that one you can find at in slash email please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast whether it's iTunes Spotify uh, the YouTube channel etc cetera, etc cetera. leave us con- uh, comments there or reach out to me directly at loomsboldly on Twitter or you can get me through the contact page over at in this show's been a production of in the money media our business manager is Drew Cotney our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchen i'm Peter Thomas Fornatal May you win all your photos.